All right, so I've had dreams where I have gotten up to preach and there's no one in the congregation. I've had dreams where I've gotten up to preach and maybe I had shorts on or some kind of stupid shirt on that I shouldn't be wearing while I'm preaching. I've never had a dream where I got up to preach and I forgot my sermon. But that was reality just a moment ago. If you saw me run out of here and hurry up and run back in, I left my sermon on my desk and so that's why... That's where I was, just in case you're wondering. I know you don't care a whole lot, but I've got it now. We're good to go. Uh, If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 10. John chapter 10 today, and um, I uh, encourage you to turn there. If not, we are going to have it on the screen for you to follow along. While you're turning there, I heard the story of a guy by the name of Steve Henning. He was out of Huntley, Illinois. He was two years old. And when he was two, he contracted um, spinal meningitis, and it was in the winter of 1943, and because of World War II, doctors had a shortage of medicine for him. They couldn't provide Steve the medication that he needed, and sadly, he lost his hearing. For 57 years, Steve could not hear music, could not hear laughter, could not hear human speech. Even though he lived a full life to the best of his ability without being able to hear, he longed to hear the voices of the people that he loved the most. In the winter of 2001, he learned of a surgical procedure that would allow sound waves to bypass the non-functioning parts of his ear and travel directly to the auditory nerve, and that should allow him the ability to hear. On January 30th, he was operated on, and the device that was implanted into his ear couldn't be activated until the swelling went down. Uh, doctors and, and Steve didn't know if the, the procedure was even going to work or not. And uh, so it took six weeks for the swelling to go down. The day of reckoning came. It's a blustery spring day. Steve nervously wondered if the procedure had all been in vain because he wasn't able to hear. The audiologist programmed the cochlear implant. He invited his wife to say something to him. And Pat Henning, Steve's wife, leaned in toward her husband and gently said, I love you. Able to hear for the first time in over six decades, Steve's face broke into a smile. The first words that he ever heard were words of love. Now, I believe that even long before we ever confessed Jesus Christ, as the son of the living God, long before we ever repented of any sin, long before before we made that decision maybe to be baptized, God was speaking words of love to us. And we heard words of love from him. When Jesus went to the cross and he died there for us, he was saying those words of love to us, even though maybe we didn't hear them. But there comes a time that once we come into a relationship with him, and he has expressed that love for us. He calls us by name, and we need to understand today that when he calls us by name, he knows our name. He knows my name. He knows who I am. If you look at John chapter 10, and this is mind-boggling to me, that the very God who created all that there is, everything that's in existence that we know of, is created by God, and that same God who created all of that, he knows my name. That is mind-boggling to me. When, when we look at John chapter 10, Jesus describes himself as a shepherd. He describes himself as a gatekeeper. He describes 
all of us as, as his sheep. Here's what he says in verse 3 in the New Living Translation. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep hear his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And so we serve a God. We need to know this today, that we serve a God rather than being off in a distance who just created the world, spun it into existence, and then watches from afar. Instead of that, we know we have a God who knows us personally. We have a God who says, I want you to approach me. We have a God who says through his son Jesus, I know your name. You know my name, I know your name, and I want to have this relationship with you. And so Jesus has demonstrated that we can have this intimate relationship with him through the cross, and it's ours not only for all of eternity, because I think what happens a lot of times is we think, when we give our life to Christ, we think, okay, we're going to have this relationship with Jesus when we get to heaven, and it's going to be amazing. But what we fail to understand sometimes is that we have this opportunity to have this incredible relationship with him now long before we ever go to heaven. Jesus says, I want that with you. I want you to know me personally. I know you personally. I want you to reciprocate that. I'll be honest, there are times when Stacy and I, are, we're out in public, we might be shopping, you know, we might be at Walmart, or, you know, if I want to be a big spender, we're at Kohl's, and, and so um, maybe we're out, and, and, or maybe we're eating dinner or something, and I run into someone that's a familiar face, and I strike up a conversation with them, and I might talk to this person for several minutes, maybe 15, 20 minutes or so, we get back to shopping, or we get back to eating, and Stacy might say, who was that, and my response many times is, I have no clue. Has anybody ever been there? Right? And, and I don't know what it is. I, I, I come back. I don't have any clue who I just talked to. And, and you know, maybe it's because I was in North Vernon for 10 years. And, and I'm here for 17 years. And I've coached basketball. I've refereed basketball. And I go out and I do concerts. And I meet a lot of different people in a lot of different places. And they're familiar faces. But I, I can't remember where I know them from. And I always go back. And I always feel so badly because... I, I think that's a bad impression when I don't know who they are. And I, honestly, I feel like a little bit of a, a fraud whenever I'm acting like I know the person and I don't. And, and so I feel bad. I let that eat at me. I let that bother me. I'm so thankful that God is not like that in that regard at all. He's not like us at all in that regard. He knows us all by name. Listen to what John what John 10 records for us, 27 through 30. My sheep recognize my voice. This is Jesus talking. My sheep recognize my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will ever snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. So no one can take them from me. The Father and I are one. And so God knows each of us intimately, and he cares for each of us individually, and he promises that he's going to love us forever, and our relationship with him will never come to an end unless we choose to walk away. I think some of us need that reminder today. Because I think there's a lot of people who've been struggling with doubt. There's a lot of people who's struggling with loneliness. There's a lot of people who are struggling uh, with, with maybe what they think other people think about them. And we need to know, regardless of what anyone else in this world might think, you are loved. You are cared for. Let that sink in for just a moment. That the very 
one who spoke everything into existence loves you. He loves you enough to send his one and only son to die for you. And when you know that you matter to God, and you understand that no matter what God knows about you, the fact that he loves you regardless of all of your mistakes, all of your sin, when you completely understand that God loves you like this, there is freedom in that like no other. Now, you need to understand this. Just because he loves you unconditionally, that doesn't mean that he approves of everything that you do. That doesn't mean that just because God loves you and his grace will cover anything, that that just gives you the freedom to go out and do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do that. I often try to remind people that we don't keep a bunch of rules to make God love us more. We follow God's rules because we love him. We want to honor him. We want him to be proud of us because he knows what's best for us. So with that said, let's consider what this God whom we worship and serve, let's consider what else he knows about us and, and, and how he knows our name and, and how he knows everything else about us. Um, and what that means to us. So here, here's the first thing. He knows our failures. Now, this is good news or bad news, depending on how you want to look at it. I think it's good news, right? Here's what it says in Psalm 69, 5. Oh, God, you know how foolish I am. My sins cannot be hidden from you. So here's a fact that we need to understand. We cannot hide from God. God knows everything about us, and the fact is we want to forget that God knows us that intimately because just be honest. It's a little bit uncomfortable to know that God knows some of the things he knows about us, isn't it? It's uncomfortable for us to realize that no matter what I do, I cannot keep any secrets from God. And I don't know about you, but there are some things in my life that I've done in my past that I wish God didn't know about. You know? There's some thoughts that I have in my head sometimes that I wish God didn't know that those thoughts we're there. But here's what you need to understand. I don't have any secrets with God, and neither do you. God knows everything about us. Now, foolishly, when we do something wrong, we, we try to hide our sin sometimes. We think we can sneak past God. We think that we can just kind of put our sins in a closet and lock the door. Isn't that what Adam tried to do? Remember when, when Adam and Eve sinned against God and God came looking for them? They tried to hide like that was, you know, like was going to work. And God comes walking through the garden and God says, Adam, where are you? Well, God knew exactly where Adam was. God knew the answer to that question before he ever asked the question. He did the same thing with Cain a little bit later on. A Cain, where's your brother Abel? Well, we know that... that um, he was murdered, and God wanted Cain to admit it, and so that's why he asked, and that's what he wanted to do with Adam as well. For the Lord sees clearly, Proverbs 5.21 tells us what a man does, examining every path he takes. So here's what you need to understand. You always have an audience, no matter how alone you think you might be at any given time, you always have an audience. Anything that you ever say or do, it is never off the record. God's always watching. You're always on stage. There's no secret closet. God sees everything that you do, everything that you think, everything you see, everything you do, everything you feel. God sees it all. He knows all about it. That means that the lie that you told last week, you know, because uh, you didn't want to be found out, when the devil's trying to say, hey, don't worry about it. No one will ever know. God's saying, listen, I, I know. I know. Just admit it to me. 
So we go ahead and do what maybe the devil is prompting us to do, and then afterwards the devil hits us with another question. What if they find out? Well, you know, you did this thing, and what if they find out? What if my parents find out what I've done? Has anybody ever felt that way? Oh, no, what if, what if mom and dad ever find out? What if my wife finds out? What if my husband finds out, or my boss, or my church, or the IRS? <laughs> and we worry that we're going to be found out. Listen, here's the deal. God knows. He already knows. And really, he's the one that counts the most. I don't want to say he's the only one that counts, but he counts the most. And he knows all of my faults. He knows all of my failures. And God isn't shocked by the sin that we commit. He's already seen it. He saw it coming. And when we confess it to him, the things that we've done wrong, he's not shocked. He says, listen, I understand that the devil put you in this difficult situation and it was something that you, you chose not to do appropriately. I, I understand. I know it happened. I saw it coming. I know how that situation ended up. I understand. So, because he understands and he sees that, sees that, be honest with him. Okay? Just be honest. You can't hide it from God anyway. Just admit it to him. Confess your sins to him. 1 John 1, 8, 9, if we say we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all wickedness. Just admit it. Admit what you did. Understand you're not fooling anyone. You're right, God. I was wrong. And here's the good news. He knows all about it. And it doesn't change how he feels about you at all. He still loves you. God knows the wrongs that I've done, and he still loves me. I remember when I was a kid, occasionally I would do something wrong. Okay? And, and here's what would happen. I would do something wrong. My mom would know that I did something wrong. But she would always give me the opportunity to confess. Did any of your parents do this? with you as well she'd give me the chance to admit my wrongdoing even if she knew that I already did it she would let me have the opportunity to admit it I remember one time that I was in the fifth grade I got into a fight <clears throat> it was I thought it was justified uh, and and so I get into this fight and and I wound up I wound up getting waxed from Mrs. Reese in the fifth grade okay and remember back in the day when you could do that teachers remember that the good old days, remember that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and, and so um, I get waxed, and, and, and I go home, and I'm thinking, you know, good deal. No one, mom's never going to find out. Dad's never going to find out. I'll take my whooping and go home. Well, unbeknownst to me, before I could get home, Mrs. Reese calls my mom. I walk in the door after I get out of school, and mom's like, anything happened at school today? No. It's fine. Are you sure nothing happened? I mean, after about the third time, I start putting two and two together. Sometimes when I do that, I come up with five. But this day, I finally I came up with four, and I admitted that I got in a fight at school and I got waxed. Now, Mom knew what happened, right? But she wanted me to admit my wrongdoing. And that was such a life lesson to me spiritually because that is exactly what God wants to do in our relationship with Him. He wants us to come to Him. He wants us to admit our sins to Him. Again, when we admit our sins to Him, it doesn't change the way that God feels about us. Just like 
it didn't change the way my mom felt about me. I mean, she was a little disappointed in me. But it didn't change how much she loved me. You know? And so what that means is I don't have to fake it with God. I don't have to pretend that I'm something that I'm not. And Proverbs 28, 13 says, People who conceal their sins will never prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Now, when I read that verse this week, I, I, I struggled at first because I started thinking, oh, wait a minute, I know a lot of people who do, do a lot of stupid stuff, and it seems like God continues to bless them. Does anybody else struggle with that? People who do dumb, wrong, wicked things, and they seem to prosper. I struggle with that a little bit, but I think what God is saying through this is, Ron, you don't understand what prosper means. Prosper has nothing to do in this context with financial prosperity. What God is saying is you're not going to prosper in your relationship. You're not going to prosper in character. You're not going to prosper in your growth until you come clean with what's wrong in your life. And so God knows my fault. He knows my failures. And he still loves me. And he forgives me. And he knows my name. And then he knows our frustrations as well. He knows our failures. He knows our frustrations. A lot of times when we... Uh, when we're hurting, when we do something wrong, or when we're hurting, we feel very isolated, we feel very lonely. Sometimes it, it comes as a result of a death. Sometimes the, maybe it's a divorce. Sometimes maybe we've lost a job, or people have been talking about us unfairly. Maybe we've just flat out been done wrong, right? And sometimes we sit down and we have a little pity party for ourselves, and we say, well, nobody understands the way that I feel. But God does. He understands it. Jesus understands it. If anybody understands being done wrong, it's Jesus. He understands my hurts. He understands my feelings and my frustration. Psalm 31, 7, I'll be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love for you've seen my troubles and you care about the anguish of my soul. God knows all about the crisis that's going on in your soul. And he understands. See, when God, when God says he knows your name, he's saying he knows everything about you, and he's not off in the distance somewhere unconcerned with the trials that you're going through in your life. Psalm 56, 8, you keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. There is no hurt in your life that ever goes unnoticed by God. But what does... God think when he knows how you feel. How does he react? Well, here's what it says in uh, Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him, for he understands how weak we are, and he knows that we're only dust. And so here's what you need to understand. God is sympathetic, okay? He's sympathetic to my hurts. He's sympathetic to your hurts. Not only does he see, he cares. God understands why it happened. He knows the causes. He knows everything. Not only does he know what you're doing, but he understands, he knows what the other person has done to you, right? He knows what has brought you to this point. He sees how it all fits together. Even when we don't see how it all fits together, he does. And the Bible says he understands because he made us. He knows my thoughts. He knows my failures. He knows my feelings, my frustrations. He sees the hurt in your heart, even when nobody else does. God does. And so what that tells me is, because he is sympathetic and he knows all of that stuff, you need to give him all of your hurt. 
Everything that's going on in your life, don't, don't keep it to yourself. Give it to Him. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Some translations say, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. And there might be some of you sitting out there today, you're just ready to give up. You're just tired of being dumped on. You're tired of being stepped on. You just, you, you're just ready to give up. You say, I, I just need to unburden myself. Would you cast all that on him? Because he cares so much for you. All of your anxieties, all of your frustrations, give them to God and don't take them back. Give him your hurts. Just like you give him your faults. I think sometimes we're pretty good at saying, God, I goofed up. Here are my faults. But sometimes we don't want to give him our hurts for some reason. I don't know why. Give him every area of your life. Here's the third thing. God knows our fears. There's a lot of attention that's been made of phobias or fears that people have. I recently did a sermon series that we called Fear Not that kind of dealt with how we deal with different fear in our lives. Satan gives us so many opportunities for fear. I recently saw a list of all the documented fears that there are out there. There's literally hundreds of them. I want to give you just a few. Maybe some of them you've heard of. Maybe some of them you haven't. A blutophobia. That's the fear of washing or bathing. Junior hires, again. I, you know, I know I picked on you last week, boys, but, you know, that's... Uh, that's just got to get it out there. Uh, electorophobia. That's the fear of chickens. Anybody deal with that? Anybody afraid of chickens? They, some of them do have large talons, I know. You know. Uh, fear of body smells. Okay, so most people do not have this one and the fear of taking a bath at the same time because if they did, then they would, would take the bath. But uh, anyway, um, bromidrophobia. Okay? Ecclesiophobia, the fear of the church. Some people that... Literally, they, they do have that. Ephibophobia, fear of teenagers. That kind of makes sense a little bit. Uh, helminthophobia, fear of being infested with worms. Now, is that a, I mean, I wouldn't like that. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not really afraid of it. This one might be some of you. Uh, homilophobia, the fear of sermons. Pentherophobia, the fear of your mother-in-law. Okay, and then phobophobia is just the fear of phobias in general. So these are some legitimate fears, and some of these sound pretty wild, some of them are pretty crazy, but they're real fears that people have, and God understands each of them. And most of you, while you're not dealing with these types of fears, there are other things in your life that you're struggling with, that you have this fear, they're causing you to live your life in fear, and the Bible tells us some common uh, uh, fears that people have. All who do evil hate the, hate the light and refuse to go near it for their sins will be exposed. Uh, we, we, could, you know, we could talk about fear, but there, there are some people that they, they don't want to know God because they know that if they admit that there's a God, then their lives are going to be exposed. They're, they're afraid that once God gets a hold of them, their life's going to change and he's going to take away some of the things that they like to do, right? 
There are some people who are afraid for the future. Well, what if, you know, what if I get laid off from my job? Uh, am I going to have the money to pay my bills? Are my kids going to turn out right? Will I be able to get all of my schoolwork done? Where am I going to go to college? What am I going to do for uh, a career? What am I going to do with the rest of my life? And th there's a lot of things that people fear, but I think the more we understand our relationship with God, we might find that most of our fears aren't justified. That a lot of times fear is misplaced. And if we could just see the big picture, if we could just step back and see the big picture, we would find that oftentimes we've just misdirected our fears. First John 4.18 says, and this is speaking of the love that God has for us, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear or casts out all fear. If we're afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we've not fully experienced his perfect love. So when God's love permeates our existence, our being, and we experience it for what it really is, the way I understand this, our fear should go out the window. Our fear should not even be a, a thought because God loves us so much we shouldn't be afraid or fear for anything. But when we truly understand that God knows our name and, and he knows us intimately and he loves us intimately and that he's drawn himself to us in a relationship with him, the fear that we once faced is now forgotten and we are fully experiencing God's loving care. Our only response is don't fear all of these things around us. All we need to do is fear the Lord. Now don't be afraid of the Lord, but fear the Lord. I think there's a misguided fear of the Lord and there's an appropriate fear of the Lord. The misguided fear is once you give your life to Christ, you're baptized into him and you are constantly still living your life in fear of the judgment, that's misguided fear because once you give your life to Christ, you're, you're good unless you choose to walk away. I mean, now that doesn't, again, that doesn't mean you just go out and do whatever you want to do and just live a life that is, is apart from God. But once you surrender your life to Him and you truly enter into this relationship with Him, you should not live in fear of judgment. Now, the rational fear, the one that God, uh, I, I think, approves of, is when we understand that he is the sovereign God of the universe, and we have this reverence of him because of who he is, but we're not afraid of him. All right? Acts 9, 31, the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in fear of the Lord. I, I think that's... I think that's the problem with a lot of people. They just go about their lives not really in reverence of, of what God wants to do in their lives and how he wants to change their lives. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Some translations say the early church walked in fear of the Lord. So all other fears are cast out when we love God to the point that, that we have this reverence and we fear him. And then there's this great comfort that comes to our lives. Now here's the fourth thing that God knows about us. He knows our faith. Right? He knows our failures. He knows our frustrations. He knows our fears. But he also knows our faith. Every time I do the right thing, God is watching. 
You know, a lot of times we like, to, we like to think, well, God sees all the bad things that I do or all the wrong things that I do. Understand, if he sees everything, he also sees the right things here sometimes. Right? Every time I do the right thing, God is watching. Every time, instead of sinning, I choose not to sin. Every time I resist temptation, every time I stand for something that is biblical, every time I have this conviction, no matter how small it might be, no matter how insignificant it might be, God understands and he sees my faithfulness to him. We don't have to do this big public show of something. In fact, God warns just the opposite. Watch out. Do your good deeds. Uh, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Give your gifts in private and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Understand that the good things that you're doing, even though nobody else sees them, God sees them and you will be rewarded. Every good deed will be rewarded no matter how insignificant, regardless of whether anybody on earth saw it or not. Any encouragement that you give to someone else, God sees it. Every kind word that you speak to someone, every compliment that you give to someone, every time you praise your children, every time you do a, a thoughtful act for your wife or for your husband, every time you pick up around the office, even when it's not your job, every time you set up chairs in the church or pick up an empty communion cup that's left in, on the, the, the seat or on the floor, every kind thought, every act of courtesy, every time you had the opportunity to gossip and you didn't, every time you had the opportunity to be critical and complain and you didn't, Every time you were positive instead of negative, God sees all of that. He sees every little thing. Every time you give an offering sacrificially, God knew how much you had left over. Every time you complimented somebody or you served or you did some secret act of service, He's seen it all. The Bible says He's going to reward you for that. So here's what I encourage you to do. I want you to imagine... As we begin to wrap this up, I want you to imagine yourself on a giant stage, and you're the only person on that stage, and there's only one person in the audience watching you on stage, and that's God. Right? And he's out there, and he's clapping, and he's saying, I, I see that good thing that you just did. Keep it up. Nobody else saw it. I know that thought that you had. I know that it was a positive, good thought. I saw that. That's awesome. Keep it up. That good deed that you did, that good thought, that act of kindness, whatever it might be, God saw it. And more and more in my life, and I'll, I'll be honest, I mean, you, you probably expect that from a preacher, I know. I'll be honest. A little transparent. I've not always lived my life that way. I have this tendency to want to be a people pleaser. Even at the expense of doing something that I know that God didn't ask me to do. Not that it's necessarily wrong, but it's not God's clear direction. And, and sometimes I, I've been guilty of, of trying to um, please the person that I'm talking to. God never calls us to please people. God calls us to please Him. 
And the more you live your life for an audience of one, and that audience being God, the freer you're going to be, the more peaceful you're going to be. Not everybody's going to see it. Some are going to be disappointed. But I'm going to tell you that you will, you'll just be a, a more content person. And you won't become discouraged, and that's the response. Don't be discouraged. If God sees all of the, the things that I do, good and bad, and He's out there cheering me on in spite of the bad things, He sees the good things, He's cheering me on. And even though I don't get credit for all of them down here, that doesn't matter. God's, God's the one that's seeing it all. Some of you might be saying, well, you know what, I've been trying to do the right thing for a long time and I've been trying to do the right thing in my marriage and I just don't see any results. I've been trying to be the right kind of person and I just don't see any different. I've been trying to respond to my kids correctly, to my parents correctly, to my spouse. I've been trying to do good Christian uh, service. I've been trying to be a good Christian at work. I've been trying to be a good Christian at my school and I don't know if it's paying off. I don't see it making any impact in anybody's life. God is saying, don't worry about it. I see it. It doesn't matter who else does. Every act of kindness, every act of love, I see it. And so Paul writes this to the church at Galatians, chapter 6, verse 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. We will reap a harvest if we don't give up. You need to understand that Satan is alive and well, and he's doing everything he can possibly do to get you off track. And he's playing with your head, and he's messing with your mind and your heart and your emotions. And you just need to understand who you belong to. John chapter 3, verse 16, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, whoever... Believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. I've got that on the back side of your outline this morning. And I left a blank space there. I want you to take that. And I want you to write your name in that blank space. And I want you to read that with your name. And a lot of times, you know, say, oh, God so loved the world. We know that. But you know, God so loved Mark. God so loved Brian and Dave and Tom and Christian. God loved me. Personalize it. Understand just how much he loves you. He wants nothing more than to draw himself to you. Will you let him do that today? I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and maybe you're here today and you've never entered into that relationship with him. We want to give you that opportunity to do so. Um, if you want to respond by, by coming forward and confessing to him maybe some of the sins that you just want to you need to confess to him maybe you, you need to make a public uh, rededication and, and confess him again before others maybe it's a first time decision maybe you're watching online I want to speak to our online community for just a moment if you're watching out there and, and you need to respond would you would you text the word ready to our church connection number that's on the screen right now we'd love to follow up with you and love to get with you and, and, and talk to you about what it means to come into a relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ
Maybe some of you just want to pray right where you're at and say, oh God, forgive me. Um, Help me to do better. Help me to live for that audience of one. Whatever it is that his word is saying to you today, uh, we encourage you to, to be faithful.